0: This is Jane Wilcox, and you are listening to Ecclesiology: Girls Talk in Church.
1: Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on.
0: It is March 2022, and we are at the two year mark since the initial global shutdown from the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, the team grapples over whether or not the church lived up to its obligation to be the example of Jesus to the world in the midst of a pandemic. In part one of a two part episode, we talk through which criteria or metrics we will use to evaluate whether the church did its part. And in part two, we evaluate the church's response according to each criteria with a letter grade here's hope in the church pass the test we are here together besides myself ecclesiology is him who jennifer johnson chris ann swartley the wilcoxes uh have this tradition using an apple slicer so you all know that apple slicers uh so they're they're round plastic usually either bright green or red and has two handles and in the middle is the slicer part. It sort of looks like a, uh, a wheel hub in the middle and then the spokes that come out. Okay, so uh, there is always a, um, a grading of the slicer's technique in the Wilcox home. An A-plus is when you turn that apple over with it, and the apple's still hanging in the slicer and you've nailed the center of the core right in the middle of the center of the hub of the apple slicer, A-plus. Uh, There have been plenty of times where I have sliced the apple and completely and utterly missed the center of the core. You flip it over and you're like nowhere close. And that's about a D minus. It depends on how far off of the center of the core, but typically that's a D minus or epic fail. And so we have this tradition where we feel the need to grade every slicer's technique uh, after the apple has been sliced. So when I posed this idea of um, asking the question, did the church do its part in the coronavirus pandemic? I immediately thought, well, what metric are we going to use to measure whether it's done its part or not? How will we know if when we slice the apple uh, that the core is actually in the center? What are we using? I think that's the first question. The second question is when we say that how did the church do, The church as a whole has responded very differently to the pandemic, Um, but I think we need to define when we talk about measuring the church, what do we mean? Now, I think we're all from the free church tradition. Chris Ann is a a good Mennonite from the Anabaptist tradition. Uh, I have a little bit of Anabaptist uh, evangelical in me, uh, and I think Jen and Kim are uh, squarely in the evangelical world. Uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong uh is that the church that we want to assess jen you have a thought
2: well i think that it's helpful to think about it as a both and not for the sake of belaboring the point but i think we can all share some anecdotal things about our own experience or things that we've been involved with in ministry but then i also think um, there are some denominational responses that were more helpful you know I grew up in a tradition that was very much each church was autonomous each church was self-governed I have a lot of respect for that tradition I can I can tell you all the pros of that tradition but as I looked into this question there were some denominational structures that really because of the way they were formed were really able to rise to this moment in a way that some of these independent churches weren't
0: Yeah that's good I like that approach Okay so What what are the metrics that we are going to use to determine if the church did its part? What should we be using? Yeah, Christian, go ahead.
3: I mean, I immediately thought of if we say we follow Jesus, then he should be our example, right? So how closely did we follow Jesus as we responded to the The crisis of the pandemic, which felt like a crisis on many levels as I both lived it, but also observed our congregation in the midst of it. It felt like a crisis about truth and what to believe. It felt like that was a crisis of the pandemic, as well as dealing with the uh, economic uh, struggles, the schooling struggles for parents and children, and the illness itself. Um so yeah it felt like a crisis on different levels and as i thought about jesus as the example i don't know it was actually kind of a struggle to i mean i immediately thought of his two greatest commandments love god and love your neighbor so uh how did we do loving our neighbor i think in some cases probably very well and in other cases not so much um one of the articles that we read talked about some christians kind of pivoting to that well if it's your time to go it's your time to go so we're not going to worry about distancing and masks and all of that not not sure that's loving our neighbor
0: so your criteria would be the example of jesus so his teachings his ministry Uh, and i think it's fair to say his life and death and resurrection i mean that's part of the example of who jesus was uh and is to us and then you specifically said uh two commandments right Mm -hmm. to love your neighbor as yourself to love god
2: and love your neighbor as yourself
0: fair okay
2: jen yeah yeah i think jane your comment about the following way of Jesus includes his his death and resurrection. You know, by Jesus tells us to to take up our cross. He makes it very clear that that is the way of discipleship. And so, another helpful metric might be, um, of course, then you have to define terms of what it means to take up your cross during a pandemic. But I think one metric could be how willing. And even eager were we to take up our cross for others. Um, I was thinking through some of the New Testament commands, the one another's, you know, that are so famous in the New Testament. And I was looking at different verses, and the one that just jumped out at me um, was this one: this is Galatians six ten. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. Mm. But think about the the extent. And the non-qualifications of that verse. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And that alone may not be a sufficient metric, but for me, that was <laughs> how many of us did good to others every time we had the chance. And and then what did that what did that look like? For me, that was just a very convicting thing because what I saw, and what I think many as a many of us have seen, is. Um, a me-first attitude, prioritizing self over others, prioritizing self over community. Um, certainly, there's exceptions to all of that, and we can all point to examples of people who who did not do that. But did the church do good to everyone whenever they could? That's good. Good. What's what are some other metrics that we that
0: we are going to find helpful in determining if the church did its part or not?
3: Mm, Christian. This is a side conversation about the use of metrics, because <laughs> because here's my here's the pushback that I have heard to um, it's loving your neighbor to wear a mask. It's loving your neighbor not to gather, et cetera, et cetera. The pushback I have heard to that metric is it's actually unloving for children for us to be masked because they need to see our faces and our expression. It's unloving to these families who have parents who are essential workers and need to go to work, yet our schools are shut down. What are they supposed to do with their children? It's unloving to small business owners that this lockdown is going on and on and on. How are they supposed to support their families? So some of some of the folks in my community who, who were pushing back on the pandemic restrictions believe that they are also doing so out of love for neighbor. They were worried about children being abused, being at home 24-7, when school is the safe place to go. They're, yeah, worried about the other things that I mentioned. So it's really, it's 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 a very difficult <laughs> conversation to have about how, yeah, how do we use these metrics?
1: I'll jump in one more to push that, to push that pushback a little bit further. As I heard from some people who, some churches were still gathering. They were gathering as soon as they could uh, with some boundaries in place, of course, but still at a time that was very early on. Some people said it was unloving of the church not to gather because what about our spiritual health and what about our spiritual needs? And if the church is a place where people are supposed to come and gather, I am at home, maybe languishing in front of a computer doing Zoom church. And I've even had people, I've known people to leave churches because I want to go where they're gathering. That's what's most important to me. To me, that's what the church is supposed to do to care for me at this time, to make a way for the church to gather, to look out for this spiritual need that I have.
0: Hmm, Good
2: point, Kim. Yeah, Jen. For me, what's one of the key distinctions here is that is whether people wanted to be the church or to do church things because there is there was nothing the pandemic was an opportunity for the church to be the church but it kept them from doing church things yes and i'm all for corporate worship and gathering i think that's biblical i also think it's how we're hardwired as humans who need community and relationship it's not about dismissing that but at a time when that is potentially dangerous or harmful, how can we be the church? I mean, wouldn't it have been great if the church had found a way to help support those small businesses so that we didn't have to fight about it as a culture anymore? The church just stepped in and helped those people. There's a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, and and I, I don't mean to be Pollyanna about that. I know that's a complicated economic and and that's a complicated economic issue. Um, but I do think there was more we could have done to Be the church that didn't involve having to sit in the same room together.
0: Yes, preach. Yeah, what comes to mind is it seems to me that there is a hierarchy of good ends. What is a good end here? And if the good end is to preserve life, that means the less than good end, not that it's not still a good end. To spiritually grow to gather together but in, in a crisis mode there has to be a hierarchy of of action and consequences to those actions right and it would seem to be the good and right thing to do the, to, to do what we must do and it was painful i mean i'm an introvert so it was probably a little less painful for me to be secluded and sequestered with, you know, Seth was home and Keith was working from home. That was, that was, that was tough. Cause I'm like, gentlemen, you're, you're cooking dinner because I'm just yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. So not that, not that there was not loss and isolation and, and mental health issues, but we, I think we, we had to do what we had to do to preserve Light the life of the vulnerable i mean that was that was at least it seems to me to be the goal early on those that 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 we knew for sure that would not make it through a
2: a, an episode of coronavirus i think what this conversation is pointing out is that this is a really complex thing where there's no great solution. That's the thing. It's not yeah. like there was a great answer to this question and a lot of bad, bad answers. There were right. a lot of mediocre things that felt crap, felt bad <laughs> to all of us. Felt bad to all of us. And so it's choosing the least bad solution that's going to do the most good. Yeah. That's hard.
3: Yeah. Hmm. So so maybe one of our metrics needs to be humility. <laughs> And we need to grade, you know, people on, on wherever on the, pers- on the, uh, on the spectrum of coronavirus responses and beliefs, uh, yeah, grade, grade our humility wherever we fall in that spectrum. Totally.
0: Part of what I was keeping an eye on was the evangelical response, um, whether it was in the whether it was within the church or, as Kim would noted uh, to their neighbor. And the theology of Magog Day is, I mean, simply that everyone's made in the image of God, and therefore everyone, every single human being, whether they're the vulnerable one, uh, the youngest one, the sick one, the disabled, um, the immunocompromised, and even the healthy. Every, every single person has a sacred worthiness. And our obligation as Christians is, is to be there for the least of them. And I kept seeing the church opt for self or for um, individual right to, the right to not wear a mask, the right to go into a restaurant without a mask, the right to sit down. I was going to say at a bar, but that probably doesn't happen in in those circles. A right to go to a movie theater, a right to whatever. And I could simply not process the incongruity of that thinking. My metric would be, are we viewing the sacred worthiness and the dignity of every human being? And was that the metric we were using when we were making the the, the choices? Do we regather? Do you remember Easter 2020? The sacredness of that holiday would have been to stay home. So for me, that's, that's a pretty high metric.
2: Yeah, Jen, go ahead. Yeah, my, I remember when all that was going down and it still continues to go down, although I think um, obviously it's different now than it was at the beginning. But I thought, you know, this was when we were debating, people were debating, did masks really help? Did they not? And depending on who you chose to read, you could support your preference. And I remember thinking, let's say we find out in six months or a year that the masks did absolutely nothing to help. I still want to be one of the people who loved others around me enough that I was going to do it just in case it might help, just in case it might keep someone safe. I think. Yes. I wanted to be one of the people who was first in line, and it's just a, it's such a small thing, as so many others have said. But I wanted to be one of the ones who was like, oh, that might help other people. I'll do that, right? And and I was disappointed that others didn't feel that way that they saw it as something to argue about instead of an opportunity to serve first. And I guess that goes back to taking up the cross and looking for opportunities to do good. Did we look for ways to get out of raising our hand and saying, me first, let me love first. Let me love, let me serve first. I think, I think there were many people who, who chose to serve and love, obviously. Yeah. But I was frustrated um, at those who, who did not. I'd be interested to know, Jen, because
0: you used to live in the Northeast. Uh, Chris-Ann, Kim, and I are still living in the Northeast. Richard Down in the BB. (laughs) Is that, and I feel like in the Northeast, I feel like we did, and I'm making this huge generalization, but even now, when I walk into a grocery store, there's a majority of people that still wearing masks. Christian or not Christian, church or not church. But then when we were visiting my son and his, and his wife in Arkansas over the summer, and we've, we were, we were down there the last two summers. And we drove and, you know, it's, it's the long drive through half the state of pa state of maryland for a bit west virginia for a bit virginia for a very long time tennessee for a very long time and the deeper we got into the south the less people were wearing masks in tennessee not a mask anywhere it freaked me out so jen give us some
2: perspective. Maybe, maybe the road that I took, everyone didn't wear masks. I don't know. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Well, so here's an interesting thought. So as we were preparing for this, uh, you had, you had shared a thought about um, that this is maybe the last gasp of modernism and it, it illustrates and it brings into effect the conflict or the perceived conflict between science and faith and all those things. I think that the, I mean, if you look at the numbers, the Northeastern United States is less religious, and I'm using air quotes here, than the South. There's lower church attendance, Uh, again, sweeping generalizations. But if you look at the Northeast as a region in the South, uh, culturally and historically uh, more um, diverse, Um, even those who do have faith commitments, uh, there's a more ecumenical spirit. Um, I think this is one way in which that culture has served that area well in that you Mm. mentioned, you know, when you go to the grocery store, Christians and non-Christians alike are wearing masks. I think that's because there's more of an appreciation for science. Mm.
3: Um,
2: Yeah. um, I think that that that's one way in which the difference of that demographics and the difference of that area may have worked in its favor, because I think there are more people from a variety of traditions who were more open to hearing the science on this issue or to receiving the the scientific guidance on this issue than perhaps the more Mm. uh, rebellious South, which has a history of that and the more um, homogeneous South, and so I think, because I noticed the same thing. We would go visit my brother and his family in New York City and everybody was wearing masks, inside, outside. They still are. We were there two weekends ago. Everybody is wearing masks. Um, now, part of that also could have been that the virus really hit there first in terms of where it hit yeah. in the United States. And so they were traumatized significantly by the number of deaths and hospitalizations there. So I think that's a multi-layered thing. But I do think that the some of the things that might make people see that part of the country as a harder mission field, made it an Mm. easier mission field for the COVID mission, for the COVID education mission. Mm. How's Mm. that? Yeah. Interesting. Mm.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Jen. Very helpful. Last semester, um, I was teaching at LaSalle during the day and I somehow, I don't remember what we were talking about a just community, that's what we were talking about. What is a just community? And um, so inevitably, I have to go to this question of uh, the tension of individual rights or the exor- our exercise of freedom versus preserving the common good and our responsibility as citizens to one another. It must remain in tension. Uh, if you forsake one over the, o- over the other, someone or some group is going to be exploited taken advantage of uh, not flourishing, right? And then it's no longer a just community or a, a, a justice done to an individual where the rights are due to them. Um, so in this conversation, I, I think I've mentioned it already. Um, I I think scripture points to it, the life of Jesus loving others, all the all the metrics that we've already used continues to point to um, balancing this tension. And in a pandemic, <clears throat> we didn't, I don't want to assess it too early, but I feel as though that we didn't do a very good job of balancing that tension. Uh, as, and again, especially the obligation that we have as Christians, not just to preserve our rights. And certainly I think, uh, there is a call to make sure that we are being mindful of individual rights and the freedom. Like Paul says, you are free to do uh, all things, but not all things are good. Uh, and, and that quote would often, that verse would often come to my mind. Um, and not that I did that well all the time, Um because sometimes I would violate someone else's individual rights or freedom when I was too busy trying to preserve the common good, right? Like, stop doing that. Get away (laughs) from me. You're too close to me. (laughs) Why are you walking so close to me? But for me, that is um, our call to the common good
3: Yeah, what does it mean when Paul talks about, you know, I use my freedom to become a slave, a slave to others to win them for the gospel, a slave to Jesus? Like, he talks about himself in that stark of a term, Mm. my freedom to be a slave. I I think that is, that sounds very,
2: very un-American, I think, to our ears. Yeah, that's what I was thinking was yes we are not, we are under discipled, but we're also living in the most one of the most independent nations I mean, I think people have done work on the um the personalities of nations that different countries have personalities just like people do and America's extroverted and individualistic and a little bit um my way or the highway you know take us or leave us we're the best that that whole thing um and that it doesn't serve us well when we're called to to come together and sacrifice. Even, I mean, not just, it, and it's not just, um, this isn't just about the church. Our nation had trouble mm. with that yeah. um, because of who we are.
1: Yeah. Kim. I think it's interesting that as a church, the church belongs to a kingdom that's eternal, but the church in America really likes being a church in America. And, I think it's really interesting the way that we love like rights to like i really want to hold on to my rights to live in a country that will one day be renewed and we're going to be somewhere else one day and so it's it's kind of the perspective game for me it's just like how eternally were we thinking in these two years and that's all to say with much grace that in a time of trauma at a time of panic at a time of at a time of pandemic of course like looking out for oneself and looking out for your community to to make decisions as best as you could, moment by moment, as news rolled out, as new information came out, is really difficult. But we we knew about the kingdom before the pandemic started. We knew about the principles and the priorities of the church before the pandemic started. And so I think it just showed us, I think, going back to the idea of exposure Mm -hmm. of, I think Jen said it, of are we looking to do church things I'll even add, to do American church things. Or are we looking to be the church?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Ouch. Preach, sister. Preach. Ouch. That's dumb. Sorry. I, I love too. that. We
3: knew about the kingdom before the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Right. True or untrue? True.
3: So true. So true. true, Bestie. Though, did
0: we? Did we? we? We knew about the kingdom. Okay. We knew about the kingdom, but I don't, you know, it's like when you say, <clears throat> Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? So do you know about the kingdom or do you know the kingdom?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Your face, Jane. That was great. (laughs) Your your eyebrows and everything were going.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. So what was... What was our criteria? Because we need to grade this, but we need to get it in front of us.
1: Imago Dei. Doing church things or being church? That was done. Church.
2: Mm the point you made about balancing how, to, how well did we balance individual needs versus community needs
3: love of god and neighbor
1: wait a minute I mean,
3: write faster
1: Jen. you, just, you said wait okay. a minute and jen just said no <laughs> no i didn't i just laughed <laughs> <laughs> just
2: oh i heard no, no. No, no
1: i'm like oh okay <laughs> I'm so sorry. Maybe Kim. Kim is there. the poster. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I wanted to say no to Jane because I thought it'd be funny, but Jen said it. I'm like, oh, great. She said it before I did. I'm sorry. I threw Jen under the matter. bus. All
3: right. So what were you going to oh, say? Love past? of God and neighbor. That was another one we talked about. And I don't know if we want to put humility on there or not. Yes, that's a good one.
0: We won't leave you hanging for too long. In two weeks, tune in for part two of the episode when we give the church a letter grade for how it responded in the pandemic based on each of the five criteria we decided on today. Hey, thanks for being a part of our listening community at Ecclesiology. We would love to hear your ideas for future podcast topics. What do you think are the pressing issues facing the church today that women need to be talking about? You can send your topics to ideas at girlstalkingchurch.com, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.)
1: Come on. Come on.